Turn to Deuteronomy 6. While you're turning there, we uh, got permission from John Fernandez to print this little uh, defense of the biblical view of marriage and what the Bible says about homosexuality. We try to make 50 copies available in each service. Uh, right back on the table, $5 pamphlet uh, to pay for ink, paper, permission, and labor. And Ron Hughes might make 20 cents. Let's see. Uh, pick that up if you want to be armed with a biblical view. Uh, John did a good job on this, and so we made it available for you, and you can pick it up as you go today. Uh, I will return to John 14 next week, but I thinking of the moral crises of the country, uh, I begin to think we cannot control the uh, Supreme Court, but I wonder if we can control what happens in our home. Uh, they haven't yet asked to raise our kids. In the home, public school they will because they get tax money. But your kids are such brats, nobody would want to take them all the time. Uh, and so we're going to talk about the culture and the home. Look at Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now the monotheistic Shema of Israel. This is their theological monotheistic statement. Hear, O Israel. Shema is the word for hear. The Lord, Yahweh, let me do with the Hebrew. Yahweh is our Elohim, the covenant-making God of Abraham, the unique name of God for Israel, is our Elohim, the name they gave to all their gods, but Yahweh is our God. The Lord is a compound unity. They didn't see Trinity here, but there's enough there. Our God is one. He's not a unit. He's a unity. We're Trinitarian. They didn't know this at this time. But our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Exodus 20 makes this the first and the greatest commandments. And Jesus said that. Remember, the second's likened unto it. Love your neighbors yourself. This, according to Martin Luther, is the fountainhead of every sin you commit. Every sin you commit is a violation of this verse. You can never sin and be loving God at the same time. You can never sin and be treating God as God. So every sin is an act of atheism. Get out of my life for right now. I'll come back when I need forgiveness. But right now, flake off. Don't be hurt by it, God. This sin looks too good not to do. These words that I'm commanding you today 
shall be in your curriculum, shall be on your bookshelf. Oh, 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 the core of your being. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He goes on to tell them, when you move into the land, you'll become instantly prosperous. Be careful that your prosperity doesn't turn you from God. Verse 14, be sure that when you get in a land full of other gods, other religions, that they don't turn you from God. Uh, you want to keep teaching these statutes to your children. Verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean, which the Lord our God commanded? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed great signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all of his household. He brought us out that he might bring us into this land. So the Lord has commanded us to observe all these, uh, these commandments and all these instructions. Teach these to your children. You read this in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4. Verse 9. When you come into the land, make known to your sons and your grandsons. Notice, he expects your influence to be at least two generational. Your own children and your grandchildren. Many grandparents are raising the children that are out there. So many kids have gotten in trouble. They had the kids, and they've dumped them with the grandparents. But it says, influence your sons and your grandson. He goes on down to verse 25. When you become the father of children and children's children, then he, he keeps going on. He goes over to chapter 8. Uh, he tells them, Teach your children, chapter 10, chapter 11. Go through and underscore the word teach to children, sons, grandsons. It's generational. He's concerned with the kids that will be born in Canaan. Why do we go to Deuteronomy 6 and talk about this? Because of this. The context is this. They've been 40 years out of Egypt in a wilderness march. They've been the people, maybe two million of them. They've received the law since they came out of Egypt. Uh, they've received the first five books of Moses. They've been preserved from the other nations. They have fought with them, but they have not uh, integrated with them. Now, we're on the verge. We're right at the Jordan. It's Deuteronomos, the second giving of the law. All the old generation over age 20 have died. A younger group that don't necessarily remember Egypt, they might. If they were 19 years old when they left in the Exodus, they would remember. Tell this generation, on the verge of going into the land of Canaan, there's dangers in the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to make you prosperous overnight. 
The geography is going to be wonderful. Uh, the wells, you're going to inherit vineyards. You're, you've been slaves. You're going to become property owners overnight. It's going to be a bonanza. But the land is full of danger. And here's the danger. In the land you're going to, sex rules the people. They sacrifice their sons and daughters to other gods while they have a sexual orgy at, while they're worshiping. Sex, it, it's a filthy land. They're dirty. They're, they do everything I warned you not to do in Leviticus. It's full of a different moral standard than what I've taught you in the law. It's full of other religions. All kinds. You're going to be in the danger of syncretism. Adopting their gods. Adopting their ways. Oh, and by the way, your girls and your boys are going to fall in love with people of other religion, not ethnicity. Moses had a black wife. God didn't mind that. But if it was a different religion, that's something else. And you're going to be tempted to intermarry. You're going to be tempted to adopt the cultural practices of sex, marriage, religion. There's a different culture and you're getting ready. By the way, there are no Christian schools in Canaan. There are no synagogues. There is no temple. There is no central meeting place to worship God. There's nobody in Canaan that's going to teach your children except the pagans. Now, I want to tell you how to survive the land I'm taking you into. And so that's why we're in Deuteronomy 6. And I simply want to ask you three questions as we work our way through it about your home and the moral crises we face. Three questions I ask, and we'll look at them. Number one, is there anyone in your household that loves God with all their heart? Don't answer. I'm asking you. Is there anybody there that loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and body? They're not divided. They love God more than they love anyone else in all the world. Is there any such person at your house? I'm covered. I've got, I've got Carolyn. Two, is there anybody teaching if you've got children in that home? Is there anybody on duty to teach your kids about God? Not the youth group, not the synagogue, not Elsa Brandy Christian, not Vista, not some other school. No, is there anybody in your home that a kid would ever find out about God from? Anybody on duty in teaching in your home? And three, are your kids being exposed to any credible Christians? Or do they just know about all the church hypocrites? Because that's who you talk about all the time. Which makes you a hypocrite. Because you shouldn't be gossiping. Number one, 
Is there anybody at your place who loves God with all their heart? Look what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. He's one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And what I'm commanding you shall be internalized so that it's in your heart. It's the controlling thing. And he goes on to tell them when the boys and their sons and daughters ask, hey, uh, tell me, how did we get this farm, let's say? How did we get this property? You, you want to say, uh, come here, sit down. Let me tell you about when we were slaves. Let me tell you what it was like to be in Egypt for 400 years. Oh, sit down here. Let me tell you, because he said the time will come in chapter 9 of Deuteronomy that you'll say, our own hands have made us rich. We just, we developed this land. We never were slaves. We're just good businessmen. We worked this out ourselves. We're somebody, you know. We're white. We grew up with money. We grew up with privilege. And you're going to pass on a message to these kids. You mean you didn't need God to get here? You, you mean you always had a silver spoon? No, I want you to tell them, oh, honey, 400 years our people were beaten, knocked down, but God had made a covenant with Abraham. After 400 years, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. And we got out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Your daddy didn't get you out. Your grandpa didn't get you out. Your God got you out. I want you to love God enough to tell the God stories to your children. I want it to be on your heart. Not I'm self-made. I'm, I'm Jewish. You know, we deserve this. No, 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 no. God started with you when you were slaves, not property owners. You weren't fit to own property. You were living on cucumbers, leeks, and garlic when I started with you. And I want you, when you get in the land, I want you to keep telling your children because you love God and because you have this love of God, you can't be quiet about what he's done for you. You know what? Everybody ought to have a redemption story that's a believer that you can't be quiet to keep telling your kids. I was lost, but I've been found. This is where we came from. This is what God did for us. He brought us a mighty long way. The biggest question in our day, and my biggest concern in this moral crisis, it's not what Governor Brown's going to do or the Supreme Court or President Obama. It's what you're going to do. What are you doing? You know, it's like we all got upset when they voted prayer out of the schools. Well, I nearly want to cuss. I couldn't get you to a prayer meeting tonight. You don't believe it. You know you wouldn't be here. No, you know you wouldn't. Look at yourself and say, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. It's ain't them. I, I ain't making a prayer meeting. They might expect you to pray. Are you going to have a concert? Yeah. They actually will wear Levi's and bang a guitar. You think that's what you need? What you need 
is God. You can't get folks to pray. This church doesn't pray very much. We pray a little bit, just enough to feel good about it. Do you love God with all your heart? I think of, uh, I was talking to my son-in-law. He's telling me, as we're celebrating his birthday, I played a song for him. I'm a wayfaring stranger just traveling through a wearisome land. I'm going to go see my mama, an old black spiritual. And uh, he's closing his eyes. He's being moved. I said, what moves you, son? What moves you? He said, I I miss black church because he said I I could groan in it. I said, you could do what? He said, I could groan. Some days, Dad, I feel like all the pressures of the world on me. I just want to groan. I said, you're in good company. Romans 8 said all of creation's groaning. And so are Christians. We're groaning for a day he redeems us and takes us home. And sometimes I don't need a hip-hop. I need some groaning music. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. That's all right. You get over it. You live long enough, you're going to have some groaning days. And he said, I miss prayer meetings like I heard my mama have. I said, what do you mean? He said, my mama didn't get saved till I was in the fourth grade. And men were in and out of our house all the time. Single mama trying to raise me. She always had one man after another. But then she went to a little holiness church when I was in the fourth grade. And God, sure enough, came down and saved her. She, she got saved, sanctified, and filled the Holy Ghost same night. You know what I'm talking about? She got it with fire. Some of you folks don't know that language because you're poverty stricken. Although she sure enough got it. She really got it. She really got saved. Really, sure enough. The man quit coming. Didn't need any men. She found the right man. She found the right man. Didn't need a lot of male company. She had this boy over here she's raising. He said, Dad, my mama used to go in the other room. And she'd take a towel. She wept so much. And had to blow her nose so much. And I could hear her crying out, help me to raise this boy. Help me raise this boy. I don't want my son shot on the streets of Sacramento. I don't want another black boy killed in Sacramento. I want to save him. I want the same Holy Ghost that captured me in that meeting, capture Jason. Please save him. God did save him. He's still saved. And he'll be saved when the world's on fire. But he said, oh, I miss praying for folks just got to be left alone. And then that might need a Kleenex box. I I go through a lot of Kleenex when I pray. I learned it from my sis. Do you love God with all your heart, parent? If you don't, you're going to lose your kids if you haven't already lost them. They're not impressed you bring them to this church. They're not impressed that you're going to get a bonus this year. They're not impressed with your job. I don't think they're real impressed. They might be impressed with you, how, how much money you've got. I'll tell you the impression they need in Deuteronomy 6. You shall impress these things upon your children. What? The God you love that you can't get over because he's always burning in your heart. You don't pick him up on Sunday and deposit him Sunday night and live like hell Monday through Saturday and pick up religion on Sunday. So I'm saved every day. 
I love him every day. He's, in, he's impressed on my heart. The curriculum's in my heart. It's not in Sunday school literature. My heart. I love him. That's what he says. Only as the heart goes will the home go. There'll be no more God in your home than what's in the parent's heart. Did say they'd get saved. Didn't mean, it just says, they'll know when they go to hell. I had a praying mother and I had a praying father and they told me the truth. Because they couldn't be quiet about a God who rescued them. Who's running your home? Anybody on duty? Anybody on duty? I'm not talking about howdy duty. I'm not talking about TV duty. I'm not talking, I know TV's running most American homes six hours a day. I know the tech is going. Can, are you having enough power over your kids to have them turn off the tech so you can eat dinner together? You pay the bill. Why can't you control it? Because you've abdicated. The kids are running the home, and they're going to hell. And we got all these passive Christians that say, we got to vote in the right guy. We need to vote you in, honey. You've been voted in. You're the dad. You're the mom. Are you the teachers? Because you know what? Somebody is teaching in your home. It may not be you, but somebody is teaching. I went and heard a lecture years ago in Dallas, at Dallas Seminary, and it was William Bennett. I've never forgot it. That uh, he was then Secretary of Education. I think he was either under Clinton or Reagan, and very strong Catholic educator and a brilliant communicator. And he's talking about our moral crises even back then and what we can do. And William Bennett made this astounding statement that I've never forgotten. He said, you must know, parents, all that most of you are doing is clothing and feeding your children while the culture kidnaps their soul." They don't have your values. They don't have your convictions. They don't have your view. Uh, because somebody is kidnapping them, all you get to do is buy them Nike, pay for their phone bill, and feed them a meal they eat in their bedroom. Because American families don't all eat together anymore. Young people can't stand to eat in the same room with the folks paying the bill. Does your family eat together? Or do you let all your kids go to their own room, watch TV, and watch a computer, and you don't eat together? Oh, I tell you, some of the best things, one of the best training places in all the world is your table. Get them at the table. Get them at the table. Man, I think of uh, when I grew up as a kid, I, I had to be at the table. I was the youngest. You'd starve to death if you weren't there. So you better show up. And my mother, she had three volumes. When she called you to dinner, Philip, I was in the neighborhood, Philip. And then she went to that kind of, uh, that Swiss yodel uh, pitch. And if you didn't come on that one, because lots of I could hear, but I was too busy playing. Guess what you had for dinner? We had post-toasties and milk. Because the good stuff's been eaten. Because my own brothers would leave nothing. Seven of us, there's nothing left, honey. You heard, you didn't come. Make a sandwich. Figure it out. But if you're there, we're all around that table. And old man, what conversations. 
my own kids. I know when we, they'd have their girlfriends over, it was a dynamic to so many of their girlfriends. You guys all eat together at night. Well, where are you supposed to eat? Well, we're all over that. We all watch TV together. And then we eat. No, 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 no. We sit down at this table and we discuss things Einstein's never thought of. We don't know what we're talking about, but we talk. We talk. We talk. And all that's going away in the culture because tech is taking over. TV's taking over. Uh, computer's taking over. Uh, an iPhone's taking over. And, and we're losing, losing. I say on the authority of God's word, if there's just one person in your house that loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and body, while you first bring these little lion cubs home, and while you're still big enough to out-wrestle them, they are under your authority, and they will know whether you love God or not. It doesn't mean they will, but do you? Is there anybody in your house that loves God? Two, is there anybody in your house teaching their children? Some of you are saying, this ain't for me. Mine are all gone. Well, enjoy the freedom did you do it when you had them? You still got grandchildren. You ought to work on them. Work on your wife just to get in shape. He said, you so take these things and teach them diligently. Verse 7. What's impressed on your heart, teach them diligently to your children. And the word diligently there is a word from a Hebrew word that meant sharp. It was used of a sharp arrow, a sharp sword. But, but it comes from a Ugaritic word, relative word, that meant to do something repeatedly. And the idea is if you wanted to sharpen a sword, you would, you know, it's repeated action. Repeat it, repeat it to put an edge on it, on the arrow, the sword. And so it had the idea of sharpen your children. Rub them, rub them, rub them, rub them. And the word is teach them, teach them, teach them repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Well, well, when should I do that? Family, family disaster called family devotions? Uh, no, no. When do you do this? Look, look, look at this. When? Verse 6. You shall teach them diligently, repeatedly to your sons. And you shall talk of them when you watch TV. No, they didn't have it, thank God. Some of you ought to think about, could you fast TV for one week? Sure, it could change your life. You'd get smarter. Talk of them when you sit in your house. Well, how often do you do that? Well, keep on. When you walk, by the way. Now, remember, they didn't have cars. They didn't have bikes. They did a lot of walking. When you walk, by the way. When you lie down, how often do you do that at your house with your kids? They usually go down at least once a night, don't they? NyQuil and ether will help. Uh, don't try Jack Daniels. You can get them stirred up. Uh, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, it seems to me like that's pretty much of life. When you're talking... When you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're lying down. Man, alive, that's like all the time. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is informal training. When you don't love God with all your heart, you won't have much to say about him. What fills the heart fills the mouth. What fills the heart fills the home. Right? We used to sing an old song, I couldn't keep it to myself. Well, why are you keeping it to yourself? Your parents, uh, how much do you talk about God with your kids? Um, informal education. I think I remember, by the way, we ne- I never grew up on family devotions. How many of you grew up on family devotions? And you're blessed. Uh, we didn't grow up on it. I, I, I never remember devotions. Throughout. Maybe they tried on Paul and David, and they were so bad, they just gave up. I don't know. But at least I, I never remember any family devotions. But this is what I remember. Uh, it seemed like every time I got in the pickup with my dad, he'd start off on some song. I quite frankly didn't sign up for a concert. I just wanted to go to the store with him. And, and he didn't do this. Son, would you care if I sing? Hmm. I can't imagine to ask, to give my dad permission. Every once in a while, he just tell us, boys, don't ever get so big. You think you handle me. I'll whip all three of you. That would just be for, before we pray over the food. He just would remind us. You, you ain't running this house. You're not running me. You got it. And some of you need to get enough chutzpah to tell the kids they're not running you. You've abdicated long enough. You need to stand up, honey. Quit being such cowards to these little kids. Act like somebody in that place knows God and got some backbone and they've got a man in the house that's not waiting for a vote to live for God. Where's the backbone in the saints? In your home, in the church. Whimpy, whimpy Christianity will never survive this culture. You've got to make up your mind. Are you love God? Are you for God? Or are you against him? Are you just neutral? You can't stay neutral. You can't stay neutral. And you know what? You say, you kind of seem animated. I am. I am sick. I am grieved. I am mourning inside the condition of this country. I'm sad. I'm sad. And so when I'm sad, I preach like I'm mad because I think the house is on fire. And I can't wake up Christians. I can't wake up Christians. I don't know if I could wake me up. I'm disturbed at how we've lost so much in the culture. This is not the Richmond and Bay Area I grew up with in the 40s and 50s, where my sister Ruth and I, living down on Cutting, could walk that to the Uptown Theater, go to the Uptown Bowl, a seven-year-old boy and a nine-year-old sister. Nobody going to mess with us. Walk over on Carlson, go by Pullman Yards, go to the Uptown Theater, nine-year-old kids, seven-year-old nobody going to mess. I can't, a white boy nor a black boy can be there now and know that he's going to get home safe. What's happened to my country? What's happened to my neighborhood? 
Oh, don't be disturbed. That's your problem. You're not. As long as I keep having my luxuries, my money, and my fun, don't bother me. Let the place burn. Well, I happen to be still empowered by God to preach and yell my heart out to this church. Wake up. Wake up. Another generation's at stake. And we can't go silent. We got to talk what we love to our kids, our grandchildren. I'm telling you, I got 12 grandchildren. And as long as they come to our house and eat, they're going to hear about God. I'm going to put chokeholds on them. I'm going to tell them we love God. We are not ashamed of God. He changed my daddy. He gave me a godly woman. He changed my brothers. Everything I've got came from the living God. Not the culture, but from the living God. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed of this God that rescued a bunch of poor Okies and saved them and changed us. And God is out of Richmond alive and knowing Christ. I'm fighting for your home. I wish you'd help me in the fight. Are you teaching them diligently? You know, I, I was thinking about walking by the way. I remember some, I, we took a trip one time. I was going to hold a revival in Tulsa and so my dad said, well, let's pull your car, and I'll go back and see my sister, Mildred, in the hills of Oklahoma. And so my dad and mom, my sister Hazel and I, we went. We pulled this VW, and we went back. And I remember, you know, a lot of travel. We didn't stay in a lot of motels. Man, uh, folks who did 66, they knew how to go all night, keep going. But you know what? We got in that car. Hazel would throw in her ukulele. We sang halfway across the country. And when we weren't singing, we heard so many stories that us kids heard them all our life. Oh, this is number eight. We've heard this one before. <laughs> you know. Oh, this is number nine. And, and we never got to say, Dad, we've heard that before. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. But you won't be eating tonight, son. <laughs> You're going to hear it as long as you've got your daddy. I'm going to tell you where he brought us from. I'm going to tell you how I met him. Nine years old, plowing. You know, you've heard me tell it so many times. The death of my brothers. The nervous breakdown of my mother. How they survived the depression. All this stuff. All this stuff. Nobody wants to hear that. Man, that's going to warp me. I'm going to think we came from a bunch of poor white folks. Well, we did. If you don't like it, too bad. That's my roots. We have nothing. The only thing in the family tree we're spitting on is Jesus tracked some of us down and made us his children. We had no other boast. No, no. Folks didn't know how to have, handle money. They didn't know anything but hard work and hard times. But Jesus came. What are you passing on? What are you teaching your kids? What do you talk about when you sit down? He's telling them, if you don't tell your kids, the Canaanites are going to pick them off. They're going to tell them about their gods. They're going to tell them about how they planted the wells and the vineyards, and, and they did all this. Come on over here. We'll make you prosperous. Come on over here. If you go to church with us, you can have sex at the heathen temple because sex and religion go together in Canaan. Come on over. Throw away all those commandments you heard from Moses. You can't trust Moses. Get over here and let the good times roll. 
He said, you better teach them. I found you in your despair. Tell them of the God of the Exodus. But it's got to fill your heart before you could ever pour out into them. It's hard to pass on what doesn't thrill you. It's hard to pass on what you become bored with. And third thing I would say is, um, have your children been exposed to any credible Christians other than you? Second Timothy 1 and 3. I pick two examples. Chapter 1, verse 5. Timothy is a, has a Gentile father, unsaved most likely, a Jewish mother, Eunice, had a Jewish grandmother, Lois. And he writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he said, you know, Timothy, you've learned about this faith from your old grandma, Lois, and you get it also from your mama, Eunice, your daddy, you didn't get anything. Matter of fact, when Paul took him to do Jewish evangelism, he had to have him circumcised so as not to offend his Jewish audience. So he says to Timothy, Timothy, you've been around credible people. Your grandmother, your mother. 2 Timothy 3.10, Timothy, you have watched my speech, my purpose, my faith, my love. You've been an understudy. You've watched me. You've watched me suffer in Iconium, Lystria, Antioch, and Derby. You obviously were traveling with me when they pulled me out of town and stoned me. And after I healed up 24 hours, I went back to the town where I preached, and I preached the same gospel that got me stoned once. And when I went on past Lystria, I went up to Derby, and when I got through at Derby, I swung back through Iconium, and I came back to Lystria, the town where I got, nearly got lynched, and I preached again. You see, Timothy, what I believe I'm willing to suffer for. I'm no hypocrite. I love God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my body. He doesn't owe me a Cadillac. He doesn't owe me prosperity. If he doesn't give me anything but heaven and suffering, he's worth it. He's worth it. I don't need a new car. I don't need a prosperity gospel. That's anathema. Anathema. This God has made people suffer. They buried our best preachers in the Colosseum where they fed them to lions. Not until Diocletian's persecutions ended and Constantine came to the throne where our preachers for the first 300 years exempt from being eaten by lions or burned for, at the stake for 300 years. And then the Roman Empire killed so many of our preachers. Is there anybody in your house that would suffer if it costs them anything to say they know God? Do you love him enough that you'd even fast, that you'd pray, that you'd give your money, that you'd show up. You know, I, I get hesitant sometimes to have guest speakers on Sunday night. You know why? I know 90% of you won't come anyway. 
So I say, well, we just drop Sunday night all the time, but I like, love baptism. I love to go. It's wonderful. Because you haven't suffered. You're soft. You, you're growing up with luxury. None of you have ever suffered for the faith. That's why I love Jewish people. That's why I love uh, even the black story in this country. And so many of the old-time black songs and the Jewish people that I run with, with Jews for Jesus, they've suffered. Many Holocaust survivors they have suffered for just being Jewish. And then they've suffered since they've become Christians because they've been kicked out of the Jewish community. There's something convicting to me when I see a man love God so much, he would suffer. That he'd lose his job. He might lose his family, as in the Jewish community. What we really need is a home revival that God could capture a mom and dad in this church and turn you into the teacher he meant for you to be. Because no one should love your children more than you. And oh, God forbid they go to hell. God forbid that this culture converts them to their way of thinking. And I was, this morning as I was eating breakfast, I wept as I listened to Babby Mason sing a song, Change Me, O Lord. As I heard it, I thought, I'm going to play Babby the close of this service and ask for you to search your heart. Where are you? Anybody in your house love God? Anybody in your house teaching anybody about God? Three, have your children met any credible? You know what? I think one of the greatest things that happened in my own home, my children tell me, in the early days of this church, we kept all the guest speakers. Uh, we didn't rent a hotel room. They just stayed at our house. Uh, the, one of the girls gave up her bedroom, and I, I'd keep missionaries. I'd keep preachers. they stay. But guess what? When you keep them, guess where they eat at that night? They eat at your table. And guess who your kids are interacting with? Credible people that would die for the cause. Not hypocrites. Not church gripes. Not church complainers. Men and women that said, I would die to make Christ known. And my kid says, all the impact of meeting credible Christians. You have any Loises and Eunice in your life? I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you what God did for us kids to give us Hazel, to give us our dad. My mom was there, but these two were the teacher shapers. My sister, when I went to date this girl, my senior year of high school, I got permission from my sister. Do you think it'd be all right, Hazel, if I dated this? I'm 18 now. Do you think it'd be okay if I dated Carolyn? And I'd have to go over an outline with her before I took Carolyn out. Now, this is what I think we would do tonight. Okay, that's okay. Don't do that. Boom. Now, this is a woman that never marries. Lives to be 80 years old and never gets married. My sister taught me morals. My sister would drive me to Helms and pray over me. I tried to get her a block away. Didn't want that guy see my sister laying hands on me. 
And she, she would say, Lord, keep him. Do the, honey, it's okay. You got to go to work. Get out. Man, don't want these former hulubs to see this prayer meeting going on with this woman. God, keep him. Teach him to be pure. To, and then I'd go to my Aunt Millie's, and she was just like her. Be pure, honey. Sit down here. I want to show you Proverbs 5. You see that. You do that. And, man. Paul would just tell me, man, you ought to get married. It's wonderful. They're telling me, be moral in the meantime. Didn't matter. They shaped me. They shaped me. When I was dating her, I'd all, when I first asked my wife to go with me, December of 62, I pulled off the freeway. I called my little single sis. Sis, we're going steady now. She said yes. She said, I've been praying God give you a godly girl. She's good for you. I had to get her approval. Then I think I got God's. <laughs> and, and the rest is history. Father, I first of all ask you to give us our burning love for you. If there's any wicked way in us, remove it. If we put other idols ahead of you, job, money, hobbies, Oh, schedule, it goes on and on and on. Whatever it is that's made us lose the love maybe we had for you, restore us, restore us, revive us. And I pray for all the children represented by those standing, children, grandchildren perhaps. Oh, would you save our children? The Supreme Court can't save them. The lawmakers can't save them. Only you can. And nobody can tell our story of redemption and how Jesus brought us out and brought us this far. Only we can tell it to our own. Oh, I pray, I pray that you'd give us strength to pray for one another, to love one another.